Hey guys, this is John Panch here with uh, my buddy Aaron Snyder. We're doing, uh, we haven't done any shooting ones for a little bit because I've been hunting a lot. And super excited to have Aaron on. He is the, uh, I don't know, probably the most experienced, one of the most, if not the most experienced backpack hunters alive right now, in my opinion. Um, and he runs, uh, well, you tell me a little bit yourself. You run Kafaru, I think a lot of people know that, but a lot of my audience is a lot of East Coast shooters more focused on precision rifle and stuff is not as much as like out west backpack hunter type stuff so how about a little background from you um so i uh, yeah i'm the owner of kafaru international and i sort of kind of run it but i'm hunting too much so i don't run it that often um <laughs> as much as often as i should but uh yeah i uh have been backpack hunting for a couple decades um I was the co-founder of Rockslide, which is a website that I actually hate right now. And there's people, oh, no. some of them on there would just fall over. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, get, I get to hunt, um, you know, a couple hundred days a year. I end up putting 100, 150 gra- animals on the ground a year with all the different whitetail and pig tags. I get to hunt multiple species. And I, I guide for Aldad and mule deer um, down in uh, South Texas on the Mexico border. Mm-hmm. Um guide in uh, South Dakota for mule deer and antelope and yeah I get to, I get to hunt a lot so I, I, I got experience doing that and a lot of it's backpack hunting. Yep yep so we actually met uh, I don't know when probably around 2015 I guess a couple more years will be coming up on a decade here on a goat hunt up in kind of northwest Washington a mountain goat hunt and kind of I had hunted my whole life but not not, I mean, like day hunting, base camp, and then just kind of hiking out, but not a ton of camp on the back day in and day out. And, you know, we ended up meeting you. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun covering ground. You never have to worry about getting back to where you started. It's always like moving, glassing. If you find a new basin or a new drainage or somewhere you want to look into, you just keep going and where you end up is where you end up. And I love that aspect of it. And so since then um doing more and more of it and i get a lot of questions because i do hunt a lot as you guys know but i wanted to have aaron on um like i said because he's the expert and and it was fun to learn from him um i've learned a lot from aaron um he's got an awesome podcast uh kafaru cast covers a ton of this stuff um you guys can skip through he's got i don't know how many up you got hundreds of episodes lots of good guests and you can skip through those and kind of pick and choose specific things but like from from my perspective i'm like man there's so much info out there but like earlier today and like most days i get a call from a friend or a text or a message or somebody but uh, i was talking to nick gardazzi called he's a big time shooter and he called and he was starting to ask me questions. He's like, if, well, if you would do a, you know, a podcast that would cover this stuff, he goes, I wouldn't have to call you. And I was like, I need to do this. So I call, Aaron called and we, anyway, we lined it out. So I'm kind of going to approach this from a, uh, just a beginner's perspective, um, and just start answering ran- random questions. So we're asking random questions and, and tossing them to you, Aaron. So, um, the a lot of so i i mean i don't even know where to start because you could talk about this for hundreds of hours like you've done on your podcast and lots of others have but um he was we'll just start with some of his questions he was he just got back from a three-day mule deer hunt and his or no it was a two it was a saturday sunday hunt i believe and his pack going in no meat couple days of food weighed 72 pounds no camera gear no 95 
nothing crazy. I'm like, okay, we're doing something wrong here. <laughs> so, um, good God. Yeah. So I, give me an idea. That's, that is the weight of my 14 day pack. Yeah. With a spotting scope and camera gear. And, and a camera. I've got Canon R5, Sony A7R4, whatever. Yeah, and a camera and lens. Yep, yep. And he did not have a 95, nor did he have camera gear. Um, and so, so yeah, he's like, he's like, dude, I don't know. He goes, I wear cotton socks. I was like, I don't know anything. And I was like, okay, I back up. And so we're kind of walking through. And, and he's he's a killer. I mean, he lots of predator hunting and he gets some stuff killed and he's getting more into big game. So I was like, we got to do this because I get a lot of questions from East coast guys. Like, Hey, I want to come out, go on an elk hunt. Can I, you just tell me a spot that's just like, just where I can shoot like a little, you know, five by five or a little six by six. I'm like, dude, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, those places aren't there. It's hard to come by. So just a DIY type of thing. So let's start with what for, for a, for a three day hunt, what would your minus camera gear? Because not everyone's packing. You're, you know, generally you and I are packing uh, a camera with a couple lenses, so that's going to add some weight. But minus camera gear, what would be your target weight for a complete pack? Oh, uh, thirty pounds, um, and that's with a spotting scope. So okay. Okay. The 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 the, the thing that um, you know, not to dive into it too far, but there is basic like gibbons, like like gospel. In, in backpack hunting. Yep. And that's like the weight of a sleep system in three season weather, uh, meeting tents and a sleeping pad and bag. Yep. You know, the weight of your clothing in a, in a three season environment. And those things do not, they don't, they don't change. I don't care if you're like, Oh, I get cold. Or, yeah. Okay. It's still going to be within a couple ounces of everyone. And so we'll, we'll go into that later, but Perfect. that really, that, 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 that immediate first weight is really going to be based off of up to 14 days, which is much as I can do personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing really changes after that other than food and fuel. So and yep. wet wipes and toilet paper, but yeah, yep. 30 pounds with a spotter. Okay. 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 So, so what, I mean, you've done a lot of these podcasts. What would, what do you think is the best way to kind of work through a system? Do you want to start with your camp system, your, your, your bag, your stove, your sleeping pad, your tent, uh, just your basic stuff you're going to leave at camp or, or, or make camp with, or what's, how do you, do you have ways you break it down like that? Yeah. yeah and I think that, um, for, for simplification reasons, we're going to talk about mild weather in September yep. at 9,000, at 9,000 feet. Yep. Um, you know, not an extreme high mule deer or sheep hunt and not really low land. And so, you know, when, when I look at that, there's very basic, it's almost anticlimactic when people see my gear because <laughs> I, agree. I don't I don't have much. And so for clothing, um, you know, out of the gate and for sleep system out of the gate. So I'll do the yep. sleep system first. Perfect. You, you even if you run a Hilleberg, which is a heavy uh, three season shelter, you're sub four pounds. But you can go sub three pounds on a three season shelter. I don't like to do that. Yep. Uh, you know, personally, you can go with a tarp that I will sometimes, which which can be a pound. But what you want to look at is three and a half pounds for the shelter, yep. a pound for your pad, give or take. So that's four and a half pounds. Yep. Two and a half pounds for your bag. Um, so you know you're roughly you know six pounds for your sleep system. Okay. Now that can vary between five and seven. Uh, up to seven and a half. And that means if yep. you're old like me and you want a big ass sleeping pack, yes. yeah, bump it up. <laughs> if you get cold, carry a little bit warmer bag. 
Um, but again, there's pluses and minuses with this. So like John's not a big guy, so he's going to save a little bit of weight in the size of his pad. Um, cause I'm two fifteen. John, what are you? One sixty five. Yeah. One seventy. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But what you don't want to do is get on an ultralight backpacking forum and read about guys using like, you know, alcohol stoves and shit that did have never done anything extreme. Exactly. And you don't want to get on a prepper form where guys are bringing hatchets and saws and shit. You don't want to do that either. <laughs> yep. There's like a happy medium and that sleep system, five to seven and a half pounds. That's, That's perfect. Where you want to be. At. Okay. So while, while, we're on, while we're on sleep system, let me interrupt you. I got, I got a couple guys and I know this has been asked a lot down and synthetic when and why on the sleep. This is easy because my, my cameraman just bitched out after four days and hiked out because, uh, well, because he's weak, uh, for one. But two, <laughs> he um, he brought a single wall shelter without preparation. When you use a single wall shelter, they're made to condensate. Yep. And the human body and wet gear makes them condensate, which makes water drip off of them onto your back. Yep. So he had a down bag, which, again, with this kid, and I'm going to use him as an example. Mm-hmm. Three things he could have changed would have changed his whole life. One of those things, he should have bought a synthetic bag because we had a 48-hour rainstorm. Oh, Even if out of 10 days, two of those days were rainy, it takes, and I don't care any kind of fairy dust people sprinkle on the hydrophobic down shit, it still gets wet. Yep. And they're like, oh, it dries 40% faster. Well, Which is still four weeks. Down, you're still going yeah, <laughs> to die. Exactly. So, and I'm a little bit of a cynic with this because I, I, I see too much marketing ad campaigns and I, I guess I live in the real world. Yep. If you're going to use down hydrophobic, it's great. Right. But so to me, if you are looking for an extreme system and you're going to be facing lots of weather, you're going to potentially be glassing out of your sleeping bag, which I do all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning up in the morning, you're not far from camp. I'll stuff that thing in my pack, and I'll get inside that to glass longer. Mm-hmm. And the outer shell, and specifically with ours, a little tougher. Yep. Um, and it can get wet. doesn't hurt it a bit. It's 98.7% effective soaking wet. So it's still almost 100% effective soaking wet. Yep. Wet conditions are the big one yep. um, with, 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 with synthetics. Now, as I'm pimping my sleeping bag out, if John and I are going in 12, 13 miles and we're going in for 10 days and there is zero weather, yeah, I'm not bringing a synthetic bag. I'm bringing a down bag. It doesn't yep. make any sense to use yep. synthetics. And with those down bags, I'll run a 20 degree in September all day long because I'll run my puppy jacket around my feet and I'll run my, my fleece up top in the bag, bumps up the temp rating so I can handle a little bit colder weather. Okay. You're saving weight. Yep. The other thing is when it's extremely cold, you go back to down, meaning yeah, even yeah, because moisture can't be snow, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so cold there is no like. Yep. When I'm saying extreme cold, like we snowshoe in and shit, like so when it's so cold, it doesn't matter. Everything's frosty. The chances of your down bag getting wet are next to none or very slim. Even with condensation, it freezes before it gets to the bag. Yep. And so. Once you get past that 15 degree, uh, you know, temperature, I'm, I'm running down again. And so when the world ends, I'm not grabbing a down bag. Mm-hmm. But if I had to run from the, I don't know, FBI because I was on, uh, I escaped convict, I'm grabbing a down bag probably 
yep. because I'm looking for fast, light, effective, you know, to, to, to save weight and be more mobile. Yep. But when the world ends, I'm grabbing synthetic because I know it's going to last longer when it's soaking wet. I know I can glass out of it's more durable, yep. those type of things. Yep. So. Okay. No, that's good answers. I get guys asking me, well, why wouldn't I get it down with hydrophobic? And I, I, I mean, the exact things you just said, I've seen, we had a, we, we were on a sheep hunt, uh, bag got, we got fouled up in a river the guys. Dry sack got, wasn't sealed all the way in his pack. The pack, the, I can't even explain to you what the, I mean, you know what those bags look like when they're soaked. It was just balls, little balls in this, in this nylon shell, that was completely worth it couldn't have kept you warm i mean it was completely worthless and then we we end up packing into it hiked into a cabin a couple miles away with a little wood stove like this little tiny one room little cabin thing like this uh, snowmobile or shelter thing and we sat there for two days with the fire going it was probably a hundred and i don't even know 120 degrees or more in there it was ripping in there and sat there with the sleeping bag hanging over the stove pulling it apart trying to pull those balls down apart so we could go hunt for the next nine days and it never did mm-hmm. i mean the sleeping bag got thrown away we got it to the point where he went out and i was like hey how you doing and he's like dude i'm freezing so he just i gave him all my insulative gear and he just piled that around him he wore his and then put mine inside and over the top of him just to make do so i i have a down bag is exactly what you just said i use it carefully but all these hunts i've been doing this year i've been packing synthetic even on the sheep hunt i packed my 20 degree just because we weren't sure on the weather and um i don't know i just i and i and i sleep my clothes dry so much now that i just i feel like the synthetic handles it better so i was just going to say the big thing to think about with with the synthetic as well as you can get in there you never want to wear wet socks to bed but you pull them off throw them at the foot of the bag you can wear your clothing to bed and sleep them dry your body heat will yep um you will dry them off and the thing is is i think people I've hung my down and synthetic bag around game bags in the morning when they're frozen because it's not like there's little people in the bag that are like generating heat, like little midgets in there. Yeah. Uh, your body heats it up. It's the same thing when something's cold, it's an insulation yep. um, system is what it is. So w- when you look at an insulation system, you can wrap it around frozen game bags. It keeps them frozen longer. So when you get inside of it and you're, you have body heat, throw your, your, you know, like for me, yep. if I'm wet, when I get back to camp, I do push up some squat thrusts, some, some, you know, some, you know, stupid ass crossfit shit, warm my body up and <laughs> yeah. I jump in the bag yep. because I, 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 I'm generating heat from my body to help dry the clothes overnight and to stay warm. Yep. Okay. So I do the opposite. I'm mean, maybe I'm doing this wrong, but so this last hunt, I mean, I, I got soaked. We were up on, you know, up by Nome, kind of Alaska, up in Unicleet. Got pretty wet, a handful of days, and I was leaving my socks on. I would just hike and get warm before bed, and I was drying everything off. Are you? Why would you say just take them off to to just so that, you get warmer? No, no, that's a foot thing. So okay. If you are prone to getting soft feet and blisters, oh, I got you. You, your that's the only reason why they'll dry off faster on your feet than they will. Um, sitting at the base of the foot bag yep. uh, or the of the foot box. Yep. It's, with that, it is all about foot maintenance. And if you have tough feet, forget what I said. In my case, um, you know, I have a tendency on my feet, uh, on the heels, to get um, you know blisters. I tape them up with Luco tape ahead of time, especially on steep climbs. Uh-huh. And so, 
what it does is it toughens your feet up. So let's say you get monkey butt. Let's yep. say your feet are getting, you know, where you're a little tender. Yep. You want to take your underwear off. You want to take your socks off. And, I mean, honestly, this is off the subject. If you've got monkey butt, you want to wedge toilet paper in your ass crack and sleep overnight so it seeps <laughs> the water or the moisture out of there. That's a problem. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, that's what, I mean, you may think it's weird, people, but if you, if a, a bad case of monkey butt will will call a hunt up early. Like, well, dude, a bad case you know, of any of this stuff, it's all important. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what it is with your, your, your feet. And for me, okay. just to be safe, I pull, a, pull them off. That's the only reason why is foot maintenance. Okay. Makes sense. Just get your feet dried out so they're not tender in the morning. Makes sense. Yeah. So they're rough, roughed up. Okay. So that, sorry to divert. That was sleep system diversion. Um, any, so as far as pads, you said plus or minus one pound. So when you guys are shopping for pads, I don't want to go over a ton of like specific products. There's a lot of good ones out there, unless there's something that one of us absolutely loves. We'll mention it, but there's a bunch of good pads. Look at reviews plus or minus a pound is a good target. So here's the thing you want to look at is the R value for a three season shelter. You want to be at 2.8, 2.5 ish to 3.5 R value. Um, on, on the, and, and you want to base it on, on the, the pad. On the pad. That's and, insula- just like insulation in your house with R24 or whatever you're using. Same thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the, the higher the number, the higher the R value because mm-hmm. you're flattening your synthetic insulation or down out when you sleep on it. So your pad becomes your insulation layer and you won't lose heat through the ground. Yep. And so, you know, for three season use, like, yeah, there's a ton of, I could list off 50 sleeping pads, but you <laughs> want to be around that. Let, let, we'll just say three for three season use, a three R value. Okay. Um, Perfect. As far, as far as thickness, it depends on if you're a bitch or not. Like for me, <laughs> you know, I got a, like a pillow mattress. I, I got like a 3.9 inch thick air pad. Hey, what, what are you running right now? What is the specific one you're trying? So I've, I've got a firmer rest and I can't remember the name of it. It's more of a kind of intermediate backpacking car camping pad. Okay. And then I've got a big Agnes Q core SLX. Okay. And, those are not my extreme. I'm going with John Pinch pad. Those are my. I'm going in three miles. I want to sleep comfortably. Um, you know, I don't mind carrying because those are closer to two pounds, right? Yep. Those are like one pound, twelve ounces. Yep. Now, when I when I want to go and, and just to list a couple for pe- people to look at the Firmares X Lite. That's what X, I run. Yep. Twelve ounces, I think. That's, yep. Yep. That's the pad that I run going extreme yep. or lightweight, and then I run an X Firm for extreme colder weather. Yep. Same pad, higher up, right? More insulation, the, a little more weight. That yep. pisses me off is I'll suggest these things to guys and they'll be like, well, it's loud. <laughs> or, you know what, dude? Fuck <laughs> it up, right? Yeah, okay, don't you know what else is loud? You're a fat ass you. snoring all night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, look, you can't have everything yeah. on your backpack. Huh? There's a level of pain you have to, or, or whatever misery yep. you have to deal with. And so when you're trying to run ultralight, uh, which that X light is, it's got a creepy noise to it. Now I don't care, like it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you 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 can have like in construction, they say you can have quality, quantity, or cost efficiency, mm-hmm. and you can have any two of those you want. Mm-hmm. Well, you can have cheap, lightweight, and durable. You can't have all three. Yep. Right. You're not gonna you're not gonna get those. So you got to kind of pick your battle. Yep. No, that's good. That's perfect. Okay. So we're sleep says we're sleep sleep system. That's good info. What's uh, let's go to, you know, your three season clothing kit, weight, some of your favorite pieces and stuff. Uh, So, you know, with clothing, 
again, uh, another thing that's um, a little bit anticlimactic. So I wear um, one pair of pants in and uh, mm-hmm. one pair of underwear. Um, yep. it, it, when I say this, I bring, if it's a long hunt, I bring one extra set of underwear and one extra set of socks. Mm-hmm. So that way I can rinse one set off, let them dry through the day. I wear one pair of pants. That's what I'm wearing in. Mm-hmm. One base layer, one fleece layer, one puffy jacket. And, you know, depending, um, you know, a little bit of devi- deviation to the side. But, um, and then I'll bring my rain gear will generally be my wind blocker, right? Yep. So if yep. I'm sitting behind the glass, I don't bring like um, a Sitka jet stream, which is an awesome jacket. Mm-hmm. If you're packing that in on a backpack hunt, you're probably fucking up. Like that is a, a and, and I love that jacket. Yep. It doesn't it doesn't keep water off of you. Yes, it's a wind blocker, but you should be carrying a set of rain gear already. Mm-hmm. And so you're doubling down on, on something you don't need two of. And so literally it's one set of pants, one base layer, and I use merino blend, so I try to run like forty percent merino, sixty percent nylon or polyester. Mm-hmm. I run some type of a grid fleece with a hood, and then I run some kind of a puffy jacket, which is synthetic, and then a rain gear. Yep. I have a beanie hat that I wear and a set of gloves that are kind of windbreaking. I mean, it'd be, if people saw the gloves I wear, I've tried $200 sets of ice climbing, whatever. I wear <laughs> Carhartt fishing gloves, basically. Oh, perfect. They're grippy gloves and fleece on the inside. They're 20 bucks. Um People use them in Alaska all the time. They dry quick. If I burn them on a fire, I don't give a shit. They're, they're grippy. So, John, some of the things you and I have done on, like, the veggie belay, yeah. they grip really good to willows when you're climbing up a 45-degree slope. <laughs> that's um, That's so, a pro tip. I might have to grab my... those for the next one. I've been looking for some, some gloves like that. I've tried a bunch, and I don't like any of them. So that might, that might be – I might try those. Yeah. When I look for gloves, I'm looking for wind blockers, right? That's important. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for something I can get on when my hands are wet because that's like a huge issue trying to wedge gloves on your hand. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for durability, um, you know, with the glove and cost efficiency. Yep. Those Carhartt gloves and there's some fishing gloves are the same. They're rubber on the outside. They're yep. fleece on the inside. And honestly, like, if I, if I, if I jack them up, uh, you know, and I'm not bashing any company. Go look at a mountaineering set of gloves. Go look at Sitka's cold front gloves. Yeah. 100, 129 bucks. Yeah. I, I can get a Carhartt set of gloves for 29 bucks. They're the same thing, probably better. Um, yeah. That I'm not going to cry if I burn a hole in it. So. Yep. That's perfect. That's perfect. So back to. Um, I run the exact same thing. I actually told Nick called today. I ran him to he because he was asking me about clothes. He ran through his. I was like, no, 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 you, way too much. Same thing. I said the exact same thing. Except I generally, depending on the hunt, I I throw in puffy pants, uh, just for extra insulation layer underneath between my pant and my rain gear. Um, we were just in Alaska. And I was noticed a couple of the guys we were hunting with were like, they just had their rain gear. I was like, man, you're in your rain gear all the time. He's like, I don't wear pants. He goes, I just have long johns and rain gear. It's all I wear. All I've done for years. And we were with Lance Kronberger and I was like, that's what Lance does. That's, and we just all started doing it and we love it. And I'm like, that's a, obviously that's a completely different climate than Colorado. Uh, it's wet all the time. It's always, it's colder and blowing. So it's a different thing. And so as you guys are listening to us talk, you got to take into consideration where you're hunting. If you're down in Florida or Southeast Georgia, then some of the stuff's out the window. You guys need air conditioning, not insulation. And so 
you know, take this with a grain of salt, but you know, Aaron's in Wyoming now, a lot of hunting in Colorado. I'm more in the Northwest, more wet. And then a lot of our hunts have been up North, you know, Alaska and the Northwest territories lately. So a little cooler, wetter climates. So some of this is common sense and you guys are smart enough to figure that out, but just as we're throwing info out, pay attention. <laughs> so let's talk about reindeer because I just got back from this hunt, this elk hunt I was on. Yeah. Oh, um, and by the way, you just crushed a big one. I don't want to, what was it? I mean, it was a big bull. What was, I do want to hear about it, but I guess we could, we could wait a little bit, but. Yeah. It was, you know, it was right around in that 350. Um, Dude, that's awesome. You know, range and it, it was a, you know, public land bull. So that's um, awesome. Uh, good bull. Um, okay, I'll hear about it later. When we, <laughs> when we went in there, um, it, we had a forecast for floods for 48 hours. And, and me being from Oregon and hunting, you know, uh, up in BC a lot, a little bit in Alaska and wet conditions, mm-hmm. North Idaho. Yeah. We would take off in the morning and I wear my underwear and a t-shirt and a rain, a lightweight rain top and a rain jacket. And this seems common sense to me, but I guess it's not that common. Um, <laughs> I, I take a very lightweight sea to stomach um, dry sack and I put my, my normal pants. Um, and, I, and I had those lightweight frontier pants, right? I had those. Um, I don't know what those weigh, but they're not, you know, sub a pants. That's they're not the very heavy. I put those. Born Primitive. That's the, that's the brand, the new ones? Yeah, yeah, the Born Primitive. Um, okay, cool. Uh, frontier pants. Okay. And those are super lightweight. They dry fast. So if I did wear them and get them wet, they dry quick. But I wear my underwear in the rain pants. And then I just, the leg zips, which is very important. Mm-hmm. I zip the leg zips down to my knees when we're hiking, blow the heat out. Yep. My my upper body, you know, I, I do the pit zips and I'm wearing just a t-shirt. Yep. What that does is as we're hunting throughout the day, the, nothing is getting wet on me other than sweat in my underwear and sweat in my t-shirt, which dries fast. Yep. If the weather gets better, I pull my, uh, my, my rain gear off and I throw my pants on and my, so let's say it's the first three hours of the morning in the Pacific Northwest, you've got dew on the grass. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a sprinkle. You got a squall. I wear that in the morning and people are like, Oh, rain gear is noisy. Well, you know what else is noisy? Dying, right? Like losing <laughs> to death. Is bad. Yeah. You know, hypothermia is not cool. So you've yep. got to kind of pick your battles. And so, I'll, I'll do that, and then as the day goes on and it gets warmer, sun comes out, or the rain stops and things are drying, I just take my rain gear, roll it up, pull out my pants, put them on. I've got my fleece in a dry sack, and it's basically just maintenance. Uh, it's body maintenance, it's heat maintenance, yep. and it's also wet weather maintenance, and so nothing is ever getting super dank. It's yep. a big thing. So you're not wetting out your clothing all the time. That's good, especially on these extended hunts. It's taken that extra. In the past, for me, it was like, I don't want to stop. Just go. We'll figure it out later. And now it's like, man, if you take an extra couple minutes here or there, throw in a layer, pull a layer off, you know, do exactly what you said. It just makes a big difference in your comfort, especially on an extended hunt when you can't go somewhere and dry your clothes out at night. So. Um, okay. So your sleep, do you have a ballpark weight on your clothes? I don't even, I haven't weighed my clothes. I, I wear what, what you said. I just never weighed it. Do you have any idea? No. And the reason why is because it is what it is. Exactly. Um, yeah. You can't not I, take it. I, <laughs> yeah. And with the sleep system, you can weigh, okay. Oh, this time I'm going to go with a tarp because it's not going to rain. Oh, I'm going to get a little rain. I'm going to go with a dual wall shelter and those will vary. Mm-hmm. Your clothing doesn't vary. You have to have a base layer. You have to have a fleece intermediate layer. You have to have a puppy. You have to have a raincoat. The only thing I would say you would want to pay attention to is your rain jacket and pants. 
Yep. If you're like the shit that I just wore, which is like the dew point from Sitka, okay. super lightweight, kind of not paper mache, but it's not built for Alaska, right? Yep. I mean, it's built for moderate yep. conditions. And then, uh, like, I'm a big fan of event rain gear. So, like, OD is a company. It's OTTE makes event rain gear. Okay. That's a, they're a little more tactical, but, like, I'm going to Alaska. The shit from Cryptic, the Altitude Series, the Stormfront from Fit is good. The OD stuff is good. Yep. I am not going to weigh it. I just know it's heavier than my lightweight rain gear because it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I got to bring it. Exactly. And so I don't, I don't, I don't weigh my, my clothes. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So we're through uh sleep system pack what are you doing for um food i'll throw stove in there water filtration just kind of what we need to stay alive as far as eating and drinking what what does that look like to you um so the uh the food this is you know super simple i'm a, I'm a fat kid i'm about 215 one, and i eat like a horse and by fat, he means super, in. super in shape, and he can walk all you guys into the ground. <laughs> That's what he means by fat. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a reformed fat kid, yeah. but I, I have a okay. metabolism that's off the chart. And so I try, it's, uh, I want 100 calories per ounce minimum, okay. and I'm going to bring 32 to 3,500 calories a day. Now, I will be running on hard hunts like Hunts John and I have done on a caloric deficit with that. But it's again picking your battles. I can't pack more food in than that. I just I just don't. Now, yeah, that's two pounds a day. A yep. Yep. Fourteen days. That's a, that's twenty eight pounds. Yep. Um, so, but that's including everything. That's my my all my food for the day. That's my dinner. That's my probiotics. That's my pre workout. If I take some kind of caffeine, that's my coffee. That's everything in one one gallon bag. Yep. Now. In that gallon bag, I do not put my dinner. My dinner stays at camp because I don't bring a stove and I'm packing it for no reason. But that's the, the food that I grab in the morning in this one gallon bag, throw in my pack for the entire day. Okay. Um, as far as the, like, uh, you know, um, like when, when you start breaking this down, if you're going to go into the, you know, the fat and the proteins and the carbohydrates, things like that. Yeah. You know, for me, I just try to keep it semi-balanced, right? I try to keep some protein in there. I try to put some fats in there so I poop more. Um, no. You know, I, obviously there's going to be things in there that aren't good for me, some, some processed sugars that I probably shouldn't be eating, but you want to make sure you can eat it. That's a big mistake. Guys, like try to go on a fucking diet when they go on a backpack. Like, yeah. Bring Snickers bar. I don't give a shit. Bring Little Debbie. Bring something because yeah. you, you need to have food you're going to want to eat. And so, you know, it's funny. I bring Cheez-Its a lot to put in my mountain. Oh, I don't eat mountain house, my peak refuel. Yep. I take white cheddar Cheez-Its. I'll make my peak refuel meal, and I'll crumble them up and put them in there. Raises the calories. Is it the best calories? No, but you know what? I'm not going to have six-pack after. I don't give a shit. I want to be able to eat it and like it. Yep. And so, um, you know, just little tricks of the trade as far as that goes. Tabasco sauce, throw that in there. Those yep. little things will help as far as, you know, eating food. The biggest thing... High caloric, uh, you know, high calories per ounce or high calories per, per weight yep. um, is what you want. You want a lot of fats, you want protein, you want carbs, you want things like that. But you also want to be able to actually eat the shit. Like you want to yep. enjoy eating. When people get up high in altitude, they seem to lose their appetite. Yep. Um, so you want to make sure, again, you want to eat it. And if you don't want to eat and you've burned off a lot of calories, make yourself eat because you are basically refueling that your engine, your body. you got to make yourself eat. You and, have and to. Water. 
Yeah. Tons of water. Tons of water. Yep. No, for sure. Water. You guys coming from the East Coast, especially. I mean, I can I can speak to that because I'm I'm at three four hundred feet elevation, so we're same difference. But I'm a little more used to these mountains. You, I force myself to drink water when I go to elevation, or I'll get I'll get horrible headaches really fast. So, especially when you get up around ten thousand and above, it really really gets to you quick. So, um, do you have a see? So, I on food. I get boot questions and food questions like, man, some of that's pretty boots are tough. What, what you like, I don't like. And we're, I mean, not necessarily, but I just, every foot's so different. Like I can't wear Scarpas. I love Las Sportivas. I couldn't, I tried Loa's not so much. A couple crispies fit well. Like it's all different. And food's kind of the same way. You got to find what you like. You got to look forward to eating. It's fun. It's, it's fun to, at the end of a hard day, look forward to like warming up a meal instead of forcing yourself to eat something disgusting. But what is there, is there a couple, like, anything that you found that's really good, like, for small, like, midday snack stuff? Like, like I mean, honey stingers are popular, stuff like that. Is there anything that you really like that's pretty loaded up with, you know, with calories and stuff or protein or anything particular? One of the things that I've found that has been a game changer for me is green belly meat. Um, okay. Well, say that again? behind it. Uh, green belly, green. green like the color belly. Okay. Okay. Those are literally a game changer. There's a couple of flavors I don't like, but what it is is the guy was a accountant, quit his job, wanted to hike all over the world, hated bringing a stove. He concocted these green belly meals. They're like a giant protein bar, but you don't have to have a, a stove if you wanted to eat them all the time. I eat them okay. way more than I should, but. What I do is there's 680 calories per bar. Uh, they're a little over 100 calories per ounce. Okay. They're very dense, meaning if you eat one at home, you're going to know that it's in your stomach. It's dense. Um, but what, what I do is I eat half of one of those, and then I eat another half a couple hours later. Okay. That, those, so I'll, I'll give you an example. The, the, the food I just bought on this elk hunt, we were like 11 miles packed in on horse, and then we were hunting between 11 and 15 miles in. So, you know, straight up and down, you know, pretty extreme. Um, I had two green belly meal um, uh, uh, bars or whatever you want to call it. I had two waffle stingers and two Ritz crackers and a Snickers bar. Okay. That was my daily food intake. So, um, is that including, is that breakfast, lunch, and then peak for dinner? Is that what you're... Yeah, the the peak refuels for dinner, but that's my daily food. And then I had, you know, the normal peak refuel for dinner. Yeah, um, yep. What that is, so that's basically, you know, roughly 1,400 calories in the green belly um, by themselves. Jeez. Which is, you know, fairly high caloric intake. Yeah. Oh, you know what else I forgot was those bars that Brandon Lilly sent me. I had one of those in there and I need to go look. But either way, I, okay. I had 1,400 calories in those. I had 400 calories in vanilla waffle finger thing. Okay. You know, another couple, like 250 in my uh, Ritz crackers. Yep. The Snickers bars. I didn't look, I don't know, 300, yeah. they're not very healthy, 300 calories. They're tasty, though. And then though. I had a fork. <laughs> yep, they, they make you happy. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, then I had another 400 calories in that bar that Brandon uh, Lilly had sent me, and before the end of the podcast, I'll walk out and grab them. They're really good and are good for you. Okay, cool. So, you know, that's, you know you're pushing 24, 25, 2600 calories with that. Yeah. You're going to have, with those peak refuels, you know, some of those things are pushing 1200 calories for you know because it's two meals Dude, i've been lo- i've been loving those we going from mountain house to those is noticeable to me i mean you're going from 
what grams of protein it's like you're going from like 12 to 40 or something or 15 to 50 or i can't even remember but it's a lot it made me i feel a lot better eating them i know that i've been eating a lot of them this year yeah, and you know they get. You know, I like anything on the internet. There's some hate pages that hate on peak refuel, but the bottom line for me, um, I mean, Jesus Christ, you come down and tell me they're bad, and I still eat them. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're they're as good as you can get yep. when it comes to you know a uh, you know a, a backpacking meal. They're, yeah, they're high in sodium and everything, but you know the the thing with again with me is I want to eat them. They taste good. Yeah, my hands swell up a little bit from the sodium content, but they do that with any of those meals. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I want to devour them. I mean, they're yeah. unbelievably good, and they yeah. don't give me the shit. Yeah. No, I look forward to them every night. I can't wait to – I never was like, oh, another one of these, and we've been eating – I don't know how many of those I've eaten this year, but a lot. So that's been – yeah, I've been loving them. So, no, the green belly's good. I don't know – I don't – I'm not familiar with that. So I just pulled them up. It looked like a bar is roughly the size of a deck of cards, kind of a – just kind of a square cut thing and just a dense – just looks like a – just looks like a like a supersized cliff bar sort of. Is that is that what you're talking about? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, cliff bars are horrible for you, but yeah. the needs are good. But yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah, just kind cool. of the same consistency for sure. Okay, cool. And then water, uh, I just, we, I, we use, I use the MSR, like, what are the drama, whatever that bag is for water storage. I use analogy to carry it, and I filter with a SteriPen a lot if I'm in a clean water area. Um, I haven't used... Aquatab, MSR Aquatabs much generally just running the just running the SteriPen but what's what's your go-to or what are you doing for water so man I changed a little bit for this hunt so I run MSR Aquatabs as my backup okay I keep them in my vinyl harness that, that's like a, you know I use them for camp water so I, I think thing MSR drama MSR dromedary or a hydro pack or okay. some kind of a four liter to six liter camp bag yep um the aqua tabs, I'm used to them, but when you first use them, you might fart on, on like, like literally, like knock buzzards <laughs> off a shit wagon that will make you fart stinky. But my body's used to them, so I drop four MSR aqua tabs and four liters. That's my camp water, um, and I use the same thing, dromedary or hydro pack. Okay. And then um, I had been using a uh, Steropin Classic um, yep. for my my daily and my nalgene. Yep. This year, I bought, I got something called a Grail. It's G R A Y L. Yeah, I've been looking at those. Well, guy in Sheep and, on had one. It looked kind of handy. You know, I, I can't. I, am I sold on it? If I don't get the shift, yes. Right. I, I haven't had that, you know, two week block before I get the audio uh, yep. from using it. But so far, I had, uh, for me, I drink a lot of electrolytes. So I had a Nalgene in my pack when I left camp. That was full. And my. Um, you know, that grail was, was empty or full. It really didn't matter. But the point being is when I would hike in and I needed water, I'd quickly fill up the grail and the filter. I have a video on my, my gear page, but you fill a cup up and you push down the internal cup, the filters at the bottom, and then it forces good water into the internal cup okay. and you can drink it. And so the cool thing was like with um, my Nalgene is I drank both of them, let's say throughout the day and I hit a steep or a water source. I would use that grail and then pour that into my Nalgene and I use element uh, electrolyte mix. Yep. I would pour the element in my Nalgene um, and then I wouldn't pour it in obviously my, my grail, yep. but I would have electrolyte mix in my, my, my Nalgene, even a Gatorade, like one of those Gatorade zero bottles is, is fine, right? Yep. Some kind of other 32 ounce source of water. 
Yeah. Um, and then throughout the day with the grails, I would just, oh, yep, there's a creek. Yeah, I'd fill it up, drink one full 24-ounce thing, fill it up again, maybe drink another one or not, and then have it full, put it in my water, uh, you know, my, my Nalgene bottle pocket. Okay. Um, and, and move on. If I needed to fill up my, you know, my Nalgene, I, w- I would, you know, do the filtration portion, pour it in my Nalgene, and I was good to go. And that, that gave me, you know, roughly the, the 32 ounces of my Nalgene, um, but, you know, but basically 50, you know, it's 32, 42, 52, yeah. 56 ounces off and on throughout the day. Okay. So. so the benefit, the the only thing on the grail when I was playing with it was like, well, the container size, obviously there's a filter in it, so it takes up some room. So it's a bigger container than you're carrying water. I was like, well, if I'm carrying an algae in any way, if you were just carrying that, I feel like it'd be not enough water, twenty, just the 24 ounce. But if you're carrying both, I like the idea because we were up getting water on on the Dalshi punt this year and we were drinking out of this nasty moose pond and like we were pouring water through a t-shirt just to keep all the bugs out like there was a lot of swimming bugs like these little larvae and stuff so we're like straining larvae out I'm stirring my steropin and this thing with stills got larvae I'm like well if they're big enough to see they probably won't make me sick so we're like drinking larvae and I'm like man I'd take a I'd take a grail at this spot but when you're in when you got good water it's not a huge deal but I I, I don't know I, I that might be a good option instead of a pump because of storage as well, so um, kind of a cool idea. But um, what and it, you know what what it is is picking your battles, right? Exactly. Like, you know the best position you can be in as you get more. You know, if you're young and poor, I get it, right? You, you if you're poor, you got to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, as you get older and more financially stable, you know, will a grail work? Yeah. Will a you know? There's multiple different pumps. There's multiple you know the stirrup pins, everything else. Yep. There is not one perfect dual system, yep. but you can MSR Aqua Tabs in a Grail, MSR Aqua Tabs in a Serapin Classic. Yeah, you're going to be able to hunt just about anywhere in the world. Yep. After that point, it's really what is most convenient. If I'm in a high water source area, that Grail can't be beat. Super quick, you know, ready to go. If I'm in a low water source area, I'm probably not going to use that. I'm going to have to carry a bladder in my pack because I need water throughout the day yep. for longer periods of time. It's just common sense and yep. what's going to work best for, yep. for you. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. Um, the uh, Real quick, any comments on stoves? Just I've used, like, I like MSR Reactor. I've used, I have this little Primos easy, like, basic stuff i haven't really been good jumped on the jet boil train ever i know guys love those but i don't i just never did but any yeah, any jet boil. yeah <laughs> not a huge fan but anyway what any preference or any quick tips on that canister stoves versus versus others or whatever so um i'll try to keep this quick the msl reactor in my opinion is the best stove money can buy it will last five lifetimes yep. um it, it can't be broken. I mean, literally, I've heard of one story my entire outdoor career, whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, you know, that, that one had gone down, right? So, um, hold on. Yep. All right. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. I talked the battery life out of that one. Um, nice. <laughs> the MSR reactor is the one that everybody should own, and that's an isobutane or a canister stove, and you want the smaller version. You don't need the big one. Um, yep. 
I think the I think there's a one liter is the smallest one you can get. Okay. Well, that's so, it. that's simple. Buy a reactor then. <laughs> what's that? I said, well, that's simple. Just go buy a reactor. They're do all. They're a little yeah. they're a little heavier, but they're they're tanks and they do awesome in the wind too. Yep, yeah, and then you know the next one would be a like a, a wind burner. Um, I think it's what it's called. It's a oh, it's not a Primus. It's a Sunto. Is it Soto or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the Soto Windmaster, and then an ever new cook set. Okay. Um, I can have two pots titanium in a Soto Windmaster, and it's lighter than my reactor, so I can have one for my normal food, one for my coffee. Okay. Let's say. Okay. That's not going to be the one I use at the end of the world, but that is definitely, you know, a lighter version. So if John's like, dude, we're going on like a four-day scouting trip trying to find this goat, it's super extreme. Yeah, the reactor may not be coming. I can go through yep. any amount of pain for four days, yep. right? I'm going to bring a lighter set. Yep. Um, and then the, 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 the final is a, is a multi-fuel stove, and that's the kind that I was raised on. It's got that smell that reminds me of the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You've got a big fuel bottle. you yep. got a pump. Nope. It's white gas, um, MSR, uh, universal. Um, I'm trying to think. It's not MSR. Uh, the Dragonfly? The the oldest one is the MSR uh, Whisperlite. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so the thing with the white gas stoves or the multi-fuel stoves, the Primus Opti-Light tie is the lightest one. Okay. When the world ends, Right, the zombies come. Whatever yeah. COVID kills, this Biden fucks up the whole world. We're all you know, <laughs> trying to survive. He's working on it. You you want a multi fuel, right? Okay. You, you're going to have to have because those will burn gas, diesel, kerosene, white gas. They'll burn anything. Okay. Now, you know, and when I say that, meaning literally, you change out the pisser in that thing, you can burn any fuel. So when you go overseas, you're going to need one of those because. Head to Tajikistan and try to buy isobutane. They're going to look at you like you got fucking horns coming out of your ass. Like they don't sell it. Well, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. You know, or Mexico, yep. they don't have it, and you can't fly with isobutane. You yep. can't. Yep. And so the multi fuel, the multi fuel stoves for international travel are better. Um, the Primus Light tie is the lightest weight and my favorite. You have a fuel bottle, you get over there, you fill it up at the gas station, you put the correct pisser in there, read their instructions, you'll understand what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. for straight up North American, lower 48, Alaska, British Columbia backpacking, the isobutane stove, the reactor is going to be your best bet. Yep. When you go to extreme shit, when you go to the world ending, yeah, everybody in my opinion, if they are an outdoorsman and care about you know, extreme environments and helping your family power goes out, get a multi-fuel stove. They're sure. important to have. Have one in your house. Cool. That's a good tip. Love it. Okay. Um, you covered, you mentioned cook set, we're food, we're clothes, we're sleep system. Um, do you want to mention quickly on tents? I mean, I don't, I run a Hilleberg a lot. I took a tarp on this last moose tent that or moose hunt that was awesome. We were able to, we were glassing for 14 sometimes longer hours a day raining and we just it was we're kind of on a sitting on a downhill looking over a valley stake the back two trekking poles in the front guided out packs guns two guys under their spotters it extended our our hunt by a lot because it was raining all day for three days and you just stay dry under there so when when do you take tarps what shelters do you like just kind of a quick shelter thing <laughs> um so 
you know, keep in mind, obviously, I, I own or am an owner of Kafaro International, so you yep. know I'm not lying because I use other shelters than Kafaro. Yep. So two men in very wet conditions with wood that you can burn, I think the Kafaro sawtooth with a liner is the best you can get with a stove inside. Yep. It's going to be about six and a half pounds total. Um, is that with stove? You know, What's the stove weight? That's, that's with stove? Uh, one, one, one pound, 12 ounces for the stove. Four pounds and change for the shelter. Dude, if you're high country, Colorado, Wyoming, anywhere with dry wood like that, it is like I get giddy when I get into one of those at night and it's nasty weather and you can start a stove. It is a special feeling. So if you're in an area that can can do it, it's great. Um, some areas can't. You just there's not there's not the wood to burn. So just common sense with that one. So yeah, and and that's the thing that people need to remember. Like you need to look at how far you're going how long you're going, potential weather, before you pick any of this shit for the most part. Yep. And so the sawtooth for two guys, in a, like John and I, John drew a four-season rifle hunt from you here. Yep. yep, we're bringing the sawtooth, yep. plenty, of, plenty of wood, we can stay warm, whatever. Yep. John and I are hunting above tree line for mountain goats. Yeah, we're not bringing the sawtooth, now we're bringing a Hilleberg. Yep. Uh, I'm a big fan of Hilleberg. Yep. We're bringing a four-season Hilleberg. Probably like a Nalo GT, uh, mm-hmm. something like that, if we're sleeping together, or Solo, if we're not. Yep. Um, you know, there's plenty of others. You know, you can get, like, the paper mache tents, like, one of the funniest, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, not going to talk too much shit, but I've seen a lot <laughs> Go of ahead. You can get away with this on others because most of this precision shooters. So we got, you know, yeah, you get away with a few things. <laughs> so, um <laughs> A big Agnes, and I, I have big Agnes products. A big Agnes, a big Agnes Fly Creek UL2 or yep. UL1. When people bring that to camp, I'm like, oh, I see you haven't died before. You yeah. haven't done any extreme shit. Like, that's my first thought that comes out, and there's many other shelters like that. Meaning, yep. yeah, you know what? That's the guy I'm going to read on Rock Slide talking about how this shelter's perfect for what he did, and you don't need this, that, and the other. And, uh, and that's where I start yelling at the computer. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen seven Big Agnes Fly Creek UL1 and UL2s blow down in a decade. Seven. <laughs> Think about parachutes. If you uh. heard that a guy jumped out of an airplane from a certain you know parachuting company and seven fucking parachutes didn't open, <laughs> are you going to go buy that parachute and jump with it? Exactly. Probably not. Exactly. And so... I, I, I encourage people when they buy a shelter, um, yeah, if you're doing like, you know, schoolyard shit, like easy stuff, yeah, get whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. But if you're going to be pushing up to tree line, high winds, high weather, yep. people complain about Hilleberg's weight and uh, people complain about bringing the stove, things like that. Um, you want to look at the potential for long-term or long-term sustainment. Like yep. you want to be happy every day. Yep. And if you are pushing the extremes, and that's not going to be in the timber on an elk hunt, you're on a mountain goat hunt, a sheep hunt, a high country mule deer hunt, yep. carry the extra weight. If I was going to suggest, um, you know, my first suggestion for a four or three season 10 is always going to be Hilleberg. They're one of my favorite. Mm. Um, they stood the test of time. John knows how much I, I use love them. them. I, uh, I use them. That's what I use like 99% of the time. I love them. So. And I'm the same as John, and I fucking own Kafaru, right? Like, yeah, yeah when I need a, a, a you know a sawtooth, I bring it. But I, I hate to suggest too many other shelters because if you're going to go cheap or you know buy a REI quarter dome or half dome, yep. you know go you know, whatever. But yep. if you're looking at getting into a 
extreme hunt, get a get a hillbird. Yep. That's just the way to go. A hundred percent. Yep. No, I agree. I've got a handful of them. I'm working. I've been trying to buy a Nyack forever. I can't find any in stock. And anyway, but yeah, they're they're tanks. Your tent's gonna fail at the worst time. It's gonna be in the middle of the night when you go to bed and it's calm and it's a beautiful sunset. And then you're gonna wake up at one in the morning and your tent feels like it's gonna blow off the mountain. And if your buddy's got a <laughs> like a UL one, which I've <laughs> this is funny. I've been on the exact hunt with that exact. It was a UL two, and it's collapsing and you're sitting there going like i can't believe this thing is staying up over my head and it's just getting battered by wind lightning and rain it's always the worst time you don't want to get up in the middle of the night and try to find somewhere to sleep because your tent just collapsed and slapping you in the face so and i i think this um i mean i don't want to drag this on forever but Mm -hmm. when you look at you know scenarios um and I've written articles about this, about like, I think I wrote one called Don't Chase the Rabbit. Yep. And it was a lightweight rabbit. Um, a Big Agnes UL1 and 2 were like 2 and chain, like 2 and 2 pounds, 2 ounces, and 2 pounds, 7 or something. Yep. Okay. There's that extra 10 ounces to run something like a Hillebird going to kill you. I guarantee 90% of the world are fucking fat and could use lose 10 ounces off their body. So, yep. you know what, diet for a week and, and carry a better shelter. Because 100%. what happens is the most inopportune time. John just talked about it. And I, I've been on hunts, specifically guiding or with buddies, yep. is, okay, the weather's fine for two days. Now we're, we're camped above tree line, right? We're on fairly wind, like windswept ground. Yep. And, oh, here comes a storm. Easy enough for me, I throw a couple rocks on the guy outlines, I hop. And I'm, you know, watching fucking Pornhub, playing, you know, words with friends. I don't know on my phone. <laughs> yeah. I have no care in the world. The other guy, the high wind hits his, uh, the, the high wind hits the size of a shelter. Yep. The guy outline breaks. Once that guy outline breaks, the wind hits again. And it can concaves or pops in that, uh, you know, his poles. Yep. Okay. Well, once that pole is popped, you know, popped in, it's probably going to snap. Once that snaps, it turns into a kite. Once it turns into a kite, all of the other guy outlines break. And if you're on a, a sheep hunt or you're on something, are you going to die? No, you can hike out in the, dry, in the, in the dark. Yep. Or you're, you're you can done. just carry 10, 10 ounces more and, you know, stay the night and kept playing words with friends or, yep. you know, whatever, you know, whatever, playing on your phone. Yeah. No, it's, and it's so true. I can't stress this enough. So shelter is a big – shelter can save – going back to your down synthetic situation that can that'll save your bag if you picked it down there's so many i mean it just buy a really good shelter that's i can't stress that enough i've i've run the tiniest i've got a couple different hillebergs but i've got a little hilleberg enon you can look it up it is tiny it's too small i don't want to run it but i bet i've slept in that for 70 nights and um it's it's crazy. I've been through snow. It's been through it's been through crazy winds. It's it's been through more than it should be because it's not rated for. I don't know if that's. A, I guess it's a light three season maybe. But um, but man, it's just it's a tank. It's tons of wind. The guys are strong. Everything holds up good. So anyway, check those out. Um, gosh, we could do. Dude, we've been we're almost an hour and we're, <laughs> there's so many things. Let's go through. Um, okay, so you kind of you already outlined kind of weights on. 
low tents and uh, or or packs going in, packs coming out, minus camera gear stuff like that. Uh, one of the questions Nick Nick asked, he's like, I really want a pack, and I was like, Well, Kafaro just moved. Their their shipping's be, they're a little behind on shipping and stuff. Like you can't get one before your hunt. It's which is in a few days. I was like, He's like, What about REI packs? I was like, All packs are fine at thirty and forty pounds. They all feel great. Um, they. Very few packs feel good at 70, 80, 90, 100. We just got back from a moose hunt, Alaska. You cannot remove the meat off the hindquarter until you're out of the field. So you're packing bone-in hindquarters off giant moose. They weigh 120, 130 plus pack. You're 130, 140 pounds, and and not very many packs feel good like that. Um talk about packs a little bit obviously the owner kafaro they're my favorite packs i've ran them for years they're built like tanks um they carry weight really really well like i said all packs feel great with no you know you get your little kuyu pack all these guys from the east coast a lot of guys i shoot with they have all these little packs and they do their little day packs for turkeys and whitetail and then they drive the side by side up once they kill a whitetail which, you know, it is what it is. We do that here if there's something close. But when you got to pack a bunch of weight out is when packs really, really start to shine. The differences become very obvious. So I want I want your pack spiel. Obviously, you're biased. Everybody knows you work for Kafaro, but, but I don't. And I think they're, I've run mystery. I don't want to name a bunch of names. I've ran a, a lot of different packs. There's, there is some good other ones, but I love Kafaro. I love how they feel when you get weighted down. So... Um, run us through like a good, like a, uh, well, I guess your day pack, you do, you do do a lot of whitetail hunting late season. So run us through uh, your day pack, like a weekend pack, and then an expedition type of pack of, you know, a, a five to seven day or more type of pack. So, you know, as far as the packs go, like, you know, John had mentioned that I don't mind mentioning names I've run you know, all of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the primaries to look at, if you're not going to look at Kafaru, you know, Stone Glacier, Mystery Ranch, and Kafaru. Yep. There's another company that starts with X and ends in O that I, I feel is probably not um, as durable as it needs to be okay. for, you know, for, you know, super extended hunts. And, and they're not a bad pack, just with heavy weights, a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, with any of those packs, the first thing is fitment. You want to make sure that the pack, the belt, the shoulder straps are the right size. The frame is tall enough. It's fitted correctly. The curvature of your back matches the curvature of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I don't think what well, I know. Uh, we're the only company that does that as far as, you know, matching the curvature. So it's, it's no different than putting on a pair of shoes or pants or, you know, getting in, uh, you know, your wife's car, you're going to have to tie the seat back. You got to make sure it fits correctly. Yep. You know, after that, like for me, um, you know, with Kafaru packs, I like a day pack that I can haul a craft load of stuff out. So like the straight jacket is what I just used on the last three hunts. That's kind of a panel loading. Um, you know, it's got a shelf that mm-hmm. I can, I have my spotting scope and my tripod, my day stuff, and I can strap an entire deer into that thing or, you know, half an elk and get it out. But the straight jacket, the Hellbender, Striker XL, one of those three. And what that allows me to do is handle camera gear, day hunt stuff, spotting scope optics, whatever. Um, and also, once I kill out, be able to get the animal out fairly easily. With a mule deer, I can handle the entire D-bone mule deer, the rack, and all my gear easily. With a moose, one quarter of a moose, that thing is rear quarter. Yeah, that's, uh, that's popping out for me. That's about all I can handle. So I can strap an entire quarter in that, but I'm not 
compressing the living shit out of my camera gear or my gear the way that it's set up. So a straight jacket held into a striker for my day hunting pack that, that I'm planning on killing. Okay. Um, you know, when you go to like a two, three, four, five day pack, uh, the Nargali and the 44 mag are two that I like. Okay. Uh, the 44 mag's got a little bit more pockets. Um, the Nargali is a little bit lighter. Okay. Um, those, those packs there are basically, you know, what I would say is going to be your mid range, um, you know, with a lid type of a system. Yep. The Nargali is made of an X pack. It's super lightweight. Um, the 44 mags all Cordura with more pockets, but again, you know, look at them. That's a mid-sized pack, so you're looking at 4,500 to 5,200 cubic inches for that mid-range. When you go after that, there's plenty. There's a fulcrum. I think, John, you like the fulcrum. Yeah, the doll, which is a big yep. – yeah, the doll is kind of my favorite. That's a big, giant event – or, excuse me, event, X-Pack pack. Yep. Uh, the Mod Deuce is another big one. Um, you know, just – you know, for me, if I'm going over seven days, it's going to be over 7,000 cubic inches. Yep. You know, if I go – you know, adding pockets or a lid or whatever. The one thing that I think is most important to mention um, on this is three days, 4,500 or, you know, 38 to 4,500. Okay. Um, three to five days, you know, you know, around that 5,000 cubic inches, roughly. Okay. Um, when you get to seven plus, you, you know, you're going to need to be 65 to 7,500 cubic inches. Yep. The one thing that people need to realize is if you actually kill something, you need to have room in that bag. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so for me, I always carry a bigger bag. So my um, five-day pack is actually my seven-day pack. My seven-day pack is actually my 10-day pack because I need about the size of a 30-milliliter uh, 30, uh, uh, or whatever it is dry sack to handle 65 pounds roughly of meat. So I've got... 50 to 60 pounds of gear, 60 pounds of meat, 120 pounds that I can pack out. And so when I kill something, I don't look, I'm not a big meat shelf guy. You know, there's some companies that really like are a proponent of that with a day pack. I get it with a multi-day pack. I think it's stupid. Um, I like to put the meat inside of the bag. So when you look at bag size, even if you suck as a hunter, prepare to not suck and have a little (laughs) extra room to be able to pack the meat out. Um, you know, if John and I, let's say we're going on a five-day hunt for mule deer, I'm going to carry a 6,500 cubic inch pack that's not going to be full. When John or I kill out, what I'm going to do is put all my soft goods, meaning all my clothing and things like that, at the bottom of the pack. The, the deer, which is going to be 65 to 70 pounds, I'm going to put that in the middle of my pack. I'm going to put whatever miscellaneous around, outer pocket, stuff like that, and I'm going to take my shelter and strap it on the outside of the pack because I don't do that on the way in. Okay. That shelter is an extra 35 pounds of meat that I can put on the inside of the pack. Um, you know, once I feel something, I strap it on the outside. I never strap my sleep system on the outside, though. I don't put my sleeping bag on the outside of the pack fucking ever. Never yep. do that. Yep. But my, my tent, I will. And so, you know, as far as size-wise, that's kind of my you know general rules of thumb as far as that goes. No, that's really good. Um, the... Uh the that you, you brought up a few things in there um one thing i wanted to hit for you guys not familiar with the kafaru system is 
Fitment was what he started with. That's super important. And once you get your frame you love, if you buy a the frame and the bag are separate, right? So you can buy if you get a bag and you don't love it, you could you can sell it, get another bag. But the frame, you get that frame, that's a the main piece of the kit, and then you can kind of swap your bags around and get real comfortable with what you like. So pick your favorite one. Worst case scenario, it's not your favorite. You want to try something else? It's easy to swap bags and do that too, which is kind of cool. So, the um, the other thing was um, pack uh, was was weight. When I was talking to Nick today, he's like, "I thought you were supposed to put heavy stuff on the bottom," and I was like, "No, you want to get your heavy stuff up, like middle top of the pack type of thing. It carries better." So, can you talk about that? <laughs> like, uh, when if you kill something, where to load your weight? Um, I, I don't think a lot of guys know that you're supposed to carry weight high. Um, you want to hit that for a second? Oh, good lord! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, know, dude. We, me, I, I, <laughs> we're gonna have to do multiple parts of, of this. <laughs> I handle a, a lot of customer service um, uh, questions about this. So, when you when you pack out an animal, your your pack training, you know, whatever, the bottom third of your pack needs to be fairly lightweight stuff. Yep. So, if you if you look at your frame or your bag, that bottom third is going to be clothing, your sleeping bag, mm-hmm. things like that. The middle third, um, you know, pushing upper, is going to be the heaviest weight. If you put the heaviest stuff on the bottom of your pack, you will be as miserable as you possibly can. That's like literally dating the hottest slut you can with nine kids that cheats on you all the time. Bad <laughs> right? Like horrible. Like misery for the rest of your life. Like do not do that. You want that heaviest weight in the middle of your pack, middle third. The top is going to be moderate weighted, like moderately weighted stuff whether that be your stove, um, your kill kit, your med kit, things like that. And then, you know, for me, I don't use a lot of like compression stacks. A lot of people do that. Like they'll put everything in a compression stack. So yep. for me, unless I need to keep it dry, which yep. is a little bit different, yep. I stuff my puffy jacket around things to fill up voided spaces. I, I stuff fleeces, I stuff whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, around those, those voids or whatever to fill up space. So, you know, I say John and I go in, like I said, we go in with the intention to kill. John and I are both carrying 6,500 cubic inch packs, and we're, we're going on a mule deer hunt. And I've got a lid. Okay, John and I both kill deer. An average mule deer deboned is 65 pounds. Okay, so 65 pounds of meat is about a 30 milliliter, 40, I think I'm saying that right, milliliter, whatever it is. Yeah, a um, liter, whatever. yeah, you, you'll see it in the... That's obvious when you look yeah, at it. Yeah, you know, uh, an average size dry sack. What I do is I take every piece of soft, good, and sleeping bag at the bottom. I take that dry sack. I put all the meat, and I don't want to go into working on meat right now, but the cooled-off meat, it's not going to go bad. I put it in the dry sack, put it in my pack. I take whatever I can, you know, in possible pouches, which are these pouches, pouches we make, and, and whatever miscellaneous, stuff it around everywhere else on top okay. of that bag. Close it up, compress the crap out of it, put my lid on, and I, the only thing I do is I'm taking my sleep system, meaning my shelter, out of the bag. I strap that towards the bottom of the pack to allow for more room, mm-hmm. and off we go. If you use a meat shelf, which I love to make fun of, <laughs> as, John, as John and I are loading up our packs and heading down the trail, you're up there doing quantum physics and yep. uh, a bunch of other shit, <laughs> trying to figure out how to open the bag, and then when you get everything you know, wedged in there, you are, you, you know, if you're, you look at a fulcrum point, you, you, you are extending all of that weight of your gear away from your back farther and farther and farther where I like to put it up against my back. The most comfortable you can be with heavy weight 
heaviest portion up against the middle third right against your back and so that's what i try to do okay that's perfect i don't think a lot of people know that so um now they do um dude i i feel like we you brought up another thing i was i a a guy was like hey i want to hear know about meat care and i was we could go in real quick i'll he he, he's like a buddy um a buddy went in killed an elk um because he put it in sealed bags in a river to try to cool it down but it was so damp it ruined in a couple days and he said it was boned out i and i didn't ask him a whole lot of details but but meat care is a big thing i don't know even know if we should go into that that's i mean I guess we're getting in the weeds here. You, at some point, you got to do what you got to do. If it's 100 degrees and you can't get the meat out, you got to do anything you can and get it cut off the bone, cooled down. I, I don't know. Is there – I mean, you guys sell game bags. Um, I'm trying to figure out where to draw the line because, like I said, we could talk about this for, you know, 10 episodes or something. I but, mean, I'm, but, I'm good on time, so I'll, well, you know, I'll kind of run through my – Yeah, hit, hit, hit that for a second. That would be awesome. Well, we'll just use it the elk I just shot. Because that's like, you know, standard mid-range condition. Um, yep. We're at 11,000 feet. It's, uh, you know, mid to low 70s, mid- midday. Um, I had a decent wind. So what I what I initially do, if bugs are not bad, uh, meaning whether that be cold weather or wind, yep. is I'm deboning the animal. I put that on a rock or, or generally deadfall if it's around, something that's not going to make the meat dirty. Yep. Um, I'm going to lay all my deboned meat on that to let it air dry and and get it cool. And that's the whole elk. So whatever I got to do, if I'm hanging shit from a tree or whatever else, I'm putting meat all over the place if the climate and the temperature allows and the bugs. Okay. I'm looking at that cool. If you don't, I've done these podcasts before and common sense isn't that common. People will be like, well, I killed my bull and it was 90. I'm like, okay. Then don't listen to me. You're I didn't in trouble. Say this was for everything. Like, yep. Yeah, different, different, you know, scenario. Yep. Get the meat as cool as you can. Yeah, call so, your buddies, get it scenario, out right now. <laughs> get it to a reefer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for this scenario, I deep boned um, the first eh, half or a little less than half with a couple buddies before South took off. We got laid on logs, they left to go kill another elk, and I was by myself. Um, so I've got the other half. Um, you know, rolled it over, deboned it. I've got all this meat laying out. Now that I'm looking at the meat, and we debone it accordingly, because I, I know how to debone, so the processor, when he gets it, know what muscle lines, things like that. Yep. What I'm worried about is when you put it in a, in a game bag, I do not want any meat in the middle of that game bag hot, because yep. if I don't rotate it, it's going to basically <laughs> insulate in the middle hot. Yep. So I want to make sure it's cool. So once everything's cooled off to a certain degree and I get it all in game bags, and these are, I use Kafaru, I'm a big fan of the Kafaru uh, meat bags because they're more durable. And also that was like my dream to create these meat bags and they're <laughs> badass. So awesome. I get them in those. Um, my first thing is going to be, um, not to sound like I'm smarter than I am, some kind of an ecothermal corridor. Or <laughs> that sounds pretty sharp. Walk in the woods. <laughs> I know, right? That's a place in the woods that you walk where you're like, oh, it's a little colder right here. Right? Okay. It's, it's a, if you're from back east, it's a holler. 
guess. <laughs> well, hey, you need to talk to. Uh, we got a lot of boys from back east listening right now. I got I got questions about sweet tea, what can opener you use, how many insulated pairs of bibs you need to take on a backpack hunt. I've got some. I got some. I got some back east questions for you, boy. <laughs> All right, so you need to get in the bottom of a holler. Okay, and, there we uh, go. In the shade. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, what I do is I hang it up. Now, in this case, I was a couple miles from camp, so I hung it up. And the next day, I went back in. And, again, this is, you know, nutrition and fitness, whatever. I hike back in. I check it. Yep. It's got a good crust over all of it. I drop the meat bags, make sure the meat in the middle of the bag is cool. Now, at that point, I'm really not that worried because the weather is going to be about the same the entire time. I could hang it back up where I want. And actually aging meat, letting it hang there in those conditions makes the meat more tender and mm-hmm. actually more it, – it makes it taste better. For sure. Blood's dripping out and everything else. Yep. Let's say the, the temperature is going to rise. Once I've cooled all the meat, I do put that in a contractor bag if needed or a dry stack, and I will put it in a creek. Now, that's for extended days. And that's after like you've cooled stay- it down. You cannot put warm meat in a bag together because the middle will be warm and it'll heat every, it'll, yeah, it'll rot. Okay. And I've done podcasts this at fucking nauseum. Yep, for you sure. You cannot, what John just said, you cannot put warm meat that's in the center of the bag anywhere. That center portion is going to be warm and it will taint other meat around it. Mm-hmm. All of the meat has to be cool. Once I am 100% certain that meat's cool, I will put it even in one of those big sea lion heavyweight dry sacks, a, a contractor bag. Yep. I will put it in the creek and submerge it, knowing it's waterproof, mm-hmm. for an extended, meaning I'm going to hunt for a few more days. Now, if it's going to be like 28 to 25, 29, 30 at night, and, you know, 60s of the day, you don't need to put it in the creek. Yep. You know, you're good. It's going to stay cold all day. Yep. The biggest thing is all of it being cool. All that, you know, meaning before you put it and insulate anything like warm in the middle. Now, that's going to take a little bit of work at times. And so um, if John and I killed an elk and let's say we, we, we were in a bad position, we didn't have wind, there was bugs around, we had to throw it straight in the dry stack. John and I are going to throw it straight, in, well, I say a dry stack, yep. in a game bag. Yep. John and I are going to throw it straight in a dry stack or a game bag, whatever it is. Yep. We're going to head down to the coolest portion we can find, a hauler. <laughs> Once we get down there, we're going to basically rotate the meat around. We're going to take the meat that's in the middle and put it on the outside, or we're going to lay it out and around the creek. We're going to let it cool off, and then we're going to put it back in the game bag where everything is cool. Um, it's not that difficult. It sounds much worse than it is. You just need to make sure that every piece of the meat is cool before it goes into a game bag or a dry sack for long periods of time. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. What was just out of curiosity? You said daytimes were seventy, seventy-five. What was the even, what was night getting down to? Uh, for us, there was one night it froze, but the rest of the nights were like high thirties, mid forties. Okay, okay. But that's still plenty to build the crust up on. You know, the outer that outer edge of your meat, the, the outside of the meat. Um, well, I let it sit for five days. The elk I just shot, and it was rainy some days, but mid to low seventies, and uh, you know whatever forties you know, in the at night, mm-hmm. um, okay. I brought that meat in. There was 248 pounds of meat that we brought to the process. There, was, there wasn't one ounce bad. That's awesome. All of it's good. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So that's, that starts to hit on that. Um, the, uh, I'm trying to just figure out where to go. Um, what just for guys, 
coming out, I got a good buddy in Florida. I, I know a lot of guys, you know, again, back, you know, back East, not a lot of mountains to train on, uh, to get ready to come out West. One of my, one of my buddies, Joe Walls, he's awesome. He's a, he, he cuts barrels for me. Uh, you guys all know on the podcast, um, he's been going, he's been able to go on a couple doll sheep hunts with a client, just, uh, one of his customers and just tagging along and being able to experience these sheep hunts. And he just went on an elk hunt. So he's been coming out West more and he is absolutely addicted. Uh, and they've got no elevation. They got no mountains. They got nothing to train on. Um, suggestions for training out. If you live out East suggestions for training out West, how do you condition, how do you get your feet, uh, tough for side hilling i mean some of the side hills on some of these sheep hunts are or some of these higher hunts you can side hill for miles and it's hard to prepare your feet you have suggestions for that fitness what do you recommend to get like what level of fitness do you want to try to get to before you go obviously all day every day is best that's not an option for most guys just like a, a fitness talk uh <laughs> this one's a little more difficult um yeah. The, the biggest thing that I've found for guys, like you said, back east, they, let's say get on the, you know, the stairway to Jesus, right? The never-ending stairway, you yep. climb the gym, or the treadmill, you run. Yep. Um, you're not getting lateral movement or side hills, so you're not working out, one, your feet, two, the sides. I'm not a doctor, but the sides of your shin bones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I've found first time guys go out, they're like, man, I was in great cardio shape, but the right and left side of my shin bone was killing me. Okay. So. You, you want to try to work on lateral movement and side hills to toughen up your feet and, you know, the, the portions of, you know, a treadmill or running that, that don't take care of. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as far as just getting in shape, just get as the best shape as you can. And, and I know that if you're a flat lander, you're like, I don't have a hill around or whatever. All right, well, you're geographically fucked. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, just like, go stadium, stair step or something. Try to climb anything i mean you can't get in good enough shape so i it's it's to me it's a silly when i hear it i'm like get in the best shape as you can it still won't be good enough but at least it'll be it'll be better than than it was yeah. um and when you're doing like the stairway to jesus yeah. go side hill on it turn sideways crisscross your legs going up try mm-hmm. to work some different muscles in your legs but the, you know the thing is it's um every place you hunt has a different obstacle so if you're hunting north idaho it's rain Yep. Right. If you're hunting Alaska, it's rain and pre-crossing, whatever. Yep. If you're hunting Colorado, it's altitude. You know, whatever it is. Yep. Um, the the thing that when you talk about altitude, um, you know, altitude is like this magical fairy that sucks the motivation right out of your body, yep. and you don't even know it's there. Yep. And so, you know, what happens is obviously your 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 VO two max, which like the, the amount of lactic acid you can pump out of your blood, mm-hmm. you know, your, your pulse ox or your oxygen level, whatever, I'm not a doctor, but it makes you not want to do anything mm-hmm. and it gives you headaches and whatever else. So what you want to do is not just train for it, but prepare when you get there for it. Meaning, you know, hydrate yourself, take your time going in. That's a huge mistake people make. They yep. smoke it in there. They give it all they got to get there. And they're like, okay, I'm fucking dead. And then they leave their hunt, you know, five days early. Yep. You know, nothing wrong with going slow on the way in, yep. you know, the, you know, nothing wrong with staying an extra day at 8,000 feet. Before Dude, you like, I think that's huge. So I mean, get there a day early and drink a lot of liquids. Cause it, I mean, I'm low elevation. I mean, you lived your Kafaro had been based in Dem out of Denver. You lived at a high elevation. 
and I'm coming in there. When I go over there and we're in the eight, you go from 8,000, 10,000, like I can't, it's shocking the difference to me. Um, and yeah, I think it, you day early and a ton of liquid is get it early, get, get over there as early as you can. But I don't know. I mean, it's crazy how, how much that just kills you. So. Yeah, and I mean, like right now, I'm at 5,600 feet. My old house was right at 10,000. Obviously, Denver, you're at five to 6,000. You know, so I, you know, again, I'm, I'm spoiled, right? I, I live at altitude, but yeah. what, what I do look at when I, when I try to be, I don't want to say sympathetic, but understand what guys <laughs> are going through. When, when I go to hunt the, the, the south, right? Super high humidity, sweat, and everything else, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> um, you know, things like that. Is, yeah. uh, again, for me, yeah, I get to sleep in a bed that night, but it's preparation. I got to make sure and drink water, try to not eat cookies and donuts and deep fried food, which they usually fail at. <laughs> when you come out here, let's say you're coming from Alabama, you drive all the way out here all through the night. You're super excited to go hunt. You don't drink enough water while you're driving. You get to the trailhead, you park the truck, you load your pack up, you head in, you're sweating to death. You're not drinking electrolytes. You want to get in and hunt. And by day two, the previous three days have ended your next five mm-hmm. because you did not take your time and you didn't prep and you didn't drink, you know, again, electrolytes or whatever. So that's the big thing to think about. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's, I might, um, we're going to have to probably do another way. One of these is I'm sure questions are rolling, but let's wrap this with last kind of topic regards to, I've, I, I've been, Got, I'll be out east. We shoot a lot in Georgia and Florida. A lot, a lot of guys out there, and they'll say, "They'll say, hey, I've had this specific question asked a handful of times. Hey, man, John, could you just drop a couple pins for me and my buddy just to come kill a six point? Doesn't need to be like a three thirty bull, just like a just a nice elk." Uh, where could we go? Where could we come out and go? And I was like, do you have preference points? They're like, what, uh, what are preference points? I was like, do you, have you hunted archery or rifle? Oh, I don't care. I'm like, have you hunted elk? No, never hunted elk before. There's a lot of guys that dream of elk hunting. Um, what you, to me, it's, it's comical. Cause I know how difficult it is. Like if I go hunt in my house where I know there's elk like here, You'll pull up to a gate, there'll be 10 trucks there, and I've gone up in those areas, and we've killed raghorn rosies, and I'm thrilled to do it with my bow. Like, I'm like, that's an accomplishment. Like, going to kill a big six on on public land over-the-counter tags – is difficult i and 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 this is oregon so you know obviously i don't we're not talking specific areas or anything but you know you take colorado and idaho and wyoming all these different western states where people want to go just what do you say to people like that where how do you get started if you can afford it outfitters um you know a handful precision rifle guys do have some disposable money because this this game is expensive um so some guys can definitely afford outfitters just a quick spiel on what do you think as far as Western hunting, elk, mule deer, expectations versus reality, cost, you know, just kind of kind of that kind of topic. What are your thoughts on that or top of your head stuff? Um, so whether it be um, archery or rifle, if it's over-the-counter public land, do yourself. Yep. And let's, um, let's base it off of Wisconsin um, to one of the Western states. And we're going to leave out Washington, Washington or Oregon because they suck. Yep, um, they do. Most people aren't going to hunt those. 
you are looking at a minimum of five to seven hundred dollars for the tag. You're going to look at a minimum of three hundred and fifty dollars one way for fuel. So uh, let's just say six. Let's say seven hundred for yep. the you know so thirteen hundred dollars for fuel and tag. Yep. I'm going to leave out the fact that you bought gear that you lied to your wife about and all that <laughs> over the course of the year to go. Yep. Um, you're going to have food, things like that. But, you know, $2,500, let's say, to go out west and hunt. Uh, roughly, right? Yep. Well, that's rifle or archery. For sure. Once you come out here, if you're hunting public land, do it yourself. Um, the, the, the actual um, harvest success for those, um, and this isn't, you know, this is not in-state and out-of-state. This is just out-of-state yep. is 5%. <laughs> so mathematically a hundred guys five of them fill a tag yep that's cow or bull yep and i'm trying to i'm going to try to be as polite as i can about this no here, just put I it love. on thick because i think there's there are unrealistic expectations and you don't know till you go because i've got my ass kicked here and i've been in areas i mean you just when you're here you grow up knowing it when you're when you're east and there's whitetails everywhere and you can buy 20 tags a year it just it's just a different perspective so i want like be raw and be i mean not that you would never be i know you're good enough but yeah lay it on thick <laughs> so um I, let's just talk about um some um uh, you know some guys that um people may uh you know base their um yeah. you know their success off of okay so and cam haynes is a friend of mine john Dudley's a friend yep. okay so i i don't want to think people are bashing those so, you know, roughly, um, you know, they're hunting the San Carlos, for, you know, for example, yep. for the, you know, the, the Indian reservation yep. um, out there. You know, that tag roughly is going to be twenty to $40,000 um, you know, for can, that tag. If you can even get one. Like, right. there's a line if of guys willing to pay that that can't get it. So there's that, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they cost, but I mean, you know, whatever. They're, yep. they're 15, 20,000, yep. 25,000, 40. I don't know. They're expensive as shit. Yep. Right? So when people see, and I, I don't want people to think I'm talking badly about Dudley or, or Cam or anyone else. 100%. Um, I just want people to know you're not fucking getting that. Yep. That is an Indian reservation <laughs> at $20,000 to yeah. not hunt that. Yep. Okay, so. You know, and, and I love Cam. He's a great dude. I love Dudley. He's a great dude. Whatever. Yep. Um, Birdsore, yep. another guy like the, the guys from Black Rifle. Yep. If you come out west to Colorado and you hunt public land, do it yourself. If you see something remotely legal, you should fucking kill it because <laughs> 5% is a success rate. And there's going to be people listening to this say, oh, I shot a 270 bull. I'm fucking proud of you. Ringo's proud of you. John's proud of you. My wife's proud of you. <laughs> you are less than 5%. Yep. Of what happens, and I've lived out here forever. Yep. Um, the the hunt we just went on was a a coveted tag that I bought a landowner tag. I don't have any issue saying all this. Yep. I bought a landowner tag that was unit wide, so I could hunt the wilderness. We had horses drop us off eleven miles in. I killed my bull fifteen miles in. <laughs> okay. Somebody go walk fifteen miles thinking about this. That messaged me. Yep. Say, I'm just looking for a good. 320 bulls, six by six. I don't, I'm not looking for any hot spots. Dude, I will shoot three people to get to a 320 bull. Yeah. Right? They, they, they just don't come a dime a dozen. So people need to be realistic, their expectations. And when I say that, meaning yep. look at having fun, look at learning, yep. and look at shooting something yep. as part of that learning. Because you go to Colorado, 
on public land, guaranteed, you're going to have five to 25 cars at a trailhead if it's a good spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Muzzleloader season, orange everywhere. Yep. And, and I hate to be such a negative guy, but I've hunted public land most of my life. Mm-hmm. And you see a guy like, let's pick, let's pick some big elk killers, Dan Evans, one of them. Yep. Yeah, that's not a public land elk he's shooting, right? That's that's a landowner tag, whatever. Or it's, uh, my, a, my favorite or it's a public land story. in a highly restricted. It's a, or it's a public land worth in a unit that's like I. It's very difficult. I drew a Nevada tag a few years ago. I hunted public land, but there's no tags in that unit. It's a trophy unit. So that's when when I ask you guys, do you have any preference points? What are you thinking? Those are the preference points allow you to get units that are very difficult to get into. Obviously, the harder it is to get into a unit, generally the better the unit's going to be because there's less people. Just and so he's hunting either if it's public land, it's it's <laughs> it's 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 a great it's a great unit. So. Yeah, and I you know, rephrase that. I, I don't know that how much Dan Evans hunts private land, but, you know, landowner tags, yep. vouchers, things like that. Yep. And I'm not speaking, Dan Evans is an amazing human and a great, great hunter. Mm-hmm. But I know what I paid for my landowner tag, and I got a deal. Like, you know, those are coveted tags, very hard to get to, so you're going to have a lot of work and money yep. to, to get to them. Um, to hunt private or excuse me to hunt public land do it yourself if you see a cow you better shoot it mm-hmm. right like you are not going to get that many opportunities because there's just too much pressure and if you're like oh i've hunted out there for the last seven years i killed three bulls great you know you've got a good spot you know where you're going but yep. realistically when people watch primos videos <laughs> those videos are the worst fucking thing yep for guys that are wanting to come out west because those guys have never seen public land. Yep. Maybe driving through it, yep. right? But they're hunting. They hunt the hill ranch and things like that. And I'm not talking ill about Primos. Do you really think that big fat dude from Primos is going to backpack in and kill a public land bull? A yep. 380 yep. at that, right? Those are logging roads. Those are, you know, and I, and I love those guys. They're awesome. Will Primos is a great dude. I've met him many times. Awesome guy. Yep. You have to have realistic expectations. So if you're hunting public land, shoot the first legal thing that comes in front of you. If you shoot something that's 300 inches and a 6x6, you might as well, you know, hopefully talk to Jesus face-to-face the next day. That's the chances you have of that happening. (laughs) Um, It's just not that possible. It's doable. Yep. It's just it's highly unlikely. It's doable, it's difficult. Okay. I just wanted I just wanted I love I like that you said that. That's what I wanted you to say. So it's just it's tough. Come out, plan don't plan on one year you're gonna in your head, don't plan on killing an elk. If you do, it's a bonus. But think of it as a you're making a scouting trip and every year you go and you're gonna learn and you're gonna get better and better at it. Um, but you, you just I just don't want you guys to come out and just be disappointed. Um, outfitted hunts, totally different things. Guys, obviously, they know the areas. They got access to private land, horses, whatever. That's a different game. If you got the money, I think that's the way to go when you come out. When you come out west, so um, it's just it's a different world. There's there's it's it's big tracts of land back east. It's like a lot of small private, and you can raise like if you got a big enough chunk out east, you can you can feed and and keep good deer on your land it's just it's just a completely different game so and i and i don't know that game um you're more familiar with it out east but um it's just a different world out here but i just i feel bad guys ask me and send me messages of like what to do or where to go and i'm like 
I'm like, man, I could send you to some spots, but <laughs> it's, it's tough. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a tough go. There's a lot of people out there. So, um, you know, it, it is, and I don't want to paint this like dismal picture, which I am, but it, it is, I mean, people have to understand, like I get hundreds and hundreds of, of messages about yep. guys heading out that didn't see an elk in eight days yep. or scared one off or whatever. Yep. People just, you know, you need to look at it like you're going to learn, you're going to have fun, yep. and, uh, you know, you're going to be- better yourself for the next time you go out. It's just difficult out here for public land. Yep. If you go in with that mentality, I mean, I, I spent years here going up the canyon where I live, parking at a gate, hiking in for miles. I'd push my bike up because it was mostly downhill out, so I'd coast out. And I would be, I would be jacked if I had an elk interaction, if I, and these are Roosevelt, so it's a little different. It's thick. It's a jungle here. And so if I saw or heard an elk, I was jacked. I mean, there was a lot of days where we were in elk country and, and there was nothing. And it's just, it's just expectations. And growing up here, I just never thought any different, but when you guys, all you guys have seen is videos and stuff, like you said, you know, not to drop names on primos or whatever but there's some you know good tv is good tv and 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 you don't want to if you filmed us wandering around looking for rosies nobody would watch so you got to see elk so um just expectations um but you know make multiple trips and and it'll get better as you go so um dude i don't know man i i really appreciate you um if you guys i think a lot of you guys know aaron but he is look him up aaron snyder on instagram follow him you got you've got You've got a gear corner. What's your other page where you do some some gear stuff? Yeah, Snyder's Gear Corner is yeah. what it's called. Where I get, it's a different gear and tech tips, things like that. Yeah. We got a the Kafar YouTube page is another one. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I you know whatever you can get a whole Aaron Snyder A R O N underscore Snyder. Um, yep. The biggest thing I try to do is just tell people you know obviously come out west, make better decisions, spend less money, but. Um, Yep. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. Hopefully I didn't sound too negative, but I, I, I really want people to have a realistic expectation when they come out with No, man, you're and, you're you know. genuine, authentic, and no BS, which there's not. I mean, that's what I enjoy. And like you said, like you recommend the best gear, and, and you know it because you've tried it, not because it just got dropped off on your doorstep and somebody paid you to use it. So it's all testing, and he's all – I mean, he's – I don't know. That's why I appreciate Aaron over the years is there's no, there's zero BS. So, um, you've ruffled some feathers with people over the years, but I've always, it's, it's out of like <laughs> passion and authenticity and honesty. And I really, really, really appreciate and respect Aaron a ton. So check him out, check out Kafaro cast. Um, um, and we're going to have to do this again. So shoot, shoot me questions and, um, we'll do another one, but I wouldn't kind of, this kind of got inspired by everyone wanted to do this forever, but Nick messaged me earlier and was asking, he's like, if you just do a damn podcast, he goes, we could, I wouldn't bug you as much. And so I was like, all right, I need to do this. So anyway, Aaron was game for it. I really, really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, man, it's an hour and a half here. We'll cut her off. I really appreciate it. And, um, and uh, like I said, send the questions in, and we'll go from there. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate appreciate the friendship and uh, obviously support for Kafaru. And, uh, yeah, I will say John is one of the probably three people literally on the fucking planet that I would trust to go on any hunt with any time. So that's saying a lot because I get that <laughs> to a lot of people. So I appreciate it. Man, I appreciate that. You're, you're awesome. Anyway, all right, guys. Thanks again. Bye.